Good morning. I have been in a lot of churches, but I don't think I've heard better music than what we got today. Let's give them another round of applause, would you? <laughs> Terrific. I, uh, I have a history with Pompano Baptist Church. Uh, you're celebrating your 50 years, and I remember back in the 70s, I used to journey over here. Bill and Carolyn Rogers were probably our best friends. I just talked to Bill just the other day. He had a delightful time. I think he was here, what, about a month ago, I believe, as your guest speaker. Pastor, thank you for having him. Uh, we go back a long way. I remember, folks, uh, you know, youth uh, has its energy, but it also has its ignorance. And I remember I was in Sarasota 26 years and pastored there, and we became good friends because we worked together at First Baptist Church of West Hollywood many years ago, around, oh, around the early 70s. And so I was an avid motorcycle rider and uh, did it for so many, many years. And I did the craziest thing. I, don't ever do this. But I would finish preaching on Sunday night. My wife and I would get on our motorcycle. It's hard to believe. And we would ride all the way across Alligator Alley. It was a two-lane road, no fences, at about 75 miles an hour, all the way over here. Bill and Carolyn lived in the house over here. I got my directions wrong, probably. And we would fellowship till 2 o'clock in the morning. They had four boys, and all of them were very, very young, probably preteen. I can't remember exactly. But they, they got tired and went to bed. And we'd stay up till 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning fellowship, and then we'd go to bed, then we'd wake up about 8 o'clock, have a breakfast, and we're ready for another day. Now, that can only happen when you're young and when you're naive. I'll just use naive. I won't use the other word. But I have so many memories. And Ken Lopez, God bless you, buddy. Yeah, less hair than ever. But anyway, and Reg Cook, God bless you. I tell you the truth, uh, it's good. I love these guys because they bring back a lot of great memories. And thank you for letting me come back here. About 2007, the church uh, took us on for support, and we have been going where most people don't go. Uh, our church support a lot of missionaries. I took a lot of mission trips. And one day I heard about a ministry called Outreach to Asian Nationals. I never heard of it. Nobody else had either. But they were going into restricted access countries. Countries like China, Vietnam, Bhutan, uh, Tibet, other countries of that nature. And they were training nationals, training. Can you get any more biblical than that? And so I found out more information about it. When it came time for me to retire, uh, I thought, Lord, if you can lead me into missions, that's, what, that's really my first love. And so for the last 13 and a half years, I have been preaching and teaching and training nationals in China, in Vietnam. I just got back from Cambodia, so if I doze off in the middle of the message, you'll understand why. Still got some jet lag, but let me tell you something, folks. In China today, it is not an exaggeration when I tell you there are at least 100 million believers in China. And I love it. We take Bibles in. I've taken thousands of Bibles in. We have eight underground seminaries just in China alone where we're training. And so God has just blessed us. Now, tonight, 
I'm going to take you on a little trip to Cambodia. Now, it is an open country, but let me tell you what we're doing. We're training nationals to go into China, to go into Vietnam, and minister the gospel and build churches. So you'll hear about it tonight. I've nearly, I've nearly been arrested about five times. Some of them even on the mission field. Never mind, that's a bad joke. But anyway, but I want to tell you about that. I want to tell you how we get Bibles in. And I want to tell you on a little trip to Cambodia. I remember there was this one time when I almost got arrested. Well, I'll finish it tonight. So you'll have to be here. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. One verse, and then I'll have several other select scriptures to give you. But I started teaching leadership to business people years ago. Uh, when I graduated from Colorado State University, I was in business for a number of years. I trained business people. And one of the things I trained them in was the very subject matter that this verse gives us. Very short verse. It says, where there is no vision, would you finish that verse, please? Where there's no vision, the people, what? Perish. That is one of the first things that I teach in leadership trainings. You'll never be an effective leader if you don't have a vision. Now, in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, it's filled with visionaries. Go back to Abraham. He was a visionary. Samuel was a visionary. The prophets were visionaries. Go to the New Testament. The apostle Paul was a visionary. John on the Isle of Patmos, a visionary. I mean, the Bible's full of it. But I'm not talking about the vision, perhaps maybe that they had. I'm talking about the vision that God gives us uh, in our lives to do more for Him, to do something perhaps maybe that somebody else hasn't seen, or, or maybe to cast the vision. Every pastor casts the vision of what he feels God has led him to do. Your pastor's done the same thing. And so it's very important that we understand vision. We have a vision for Southeast Asia. We want to see more churches planted, more seminaries established. And so it goes on and on and on. I ran across a, a study, and, and I say this to you. Listen to me. I say this to you in light of that, that poster up there. Fifty years. Listen to me, gang. You have just started. You have not arrived. And you will never arrive until the Lord Jesus Christ splits the sky and comes back and says, come up, every one of you. We're talking about vision. We're talking about staying with the stuff, to put it mildly. I read an interesting story. It's by Lynn Anderson. No, she's not a country and western singer, but she is a, uh, a Christian writer. And, and she had an interesting story. She said about 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. The second year, they established a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. The fourth year, the people tried to impeach the town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had a vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome hardship to get there. But in just a few short years, they were not able to see even five miles outside of town. Why? Because they lost their pioneering vision. The author goes on. 
with a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, no ocean of difficulty is too great. Without a vision of what God can do in and through you and me, we rarely move beyond our current boundaries. End of quote. Did the Lord have a vision? Did he? Did he have a vision when he came to this earth for those three and a half years and suffered? Did he have a vision for what he wanted to accomplish? Well, I would hope so. We read about it in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. It said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He said, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest field. Jesus had a vision of more workers that would go in and harvest the precious souls that were there. God never, ever allowed that vision to die. And it's a perpetual vision that all of us must have as a church body. I like the 2012 Summer Olympics theme. They said, we cannot afford to let the flame go out. And folks, that's the case here. You've had 50 wonderful years. But I think the best part is yet to to begin. And we need to reach the world for Christ. Well, let's define vision. Let's talk about it. First of all, vision is awareness. Uh, I read Acts 20.20 the other day. You ought to read that sometime. Because Paul had vision. Paul had vision of of reaching every city that he ever went to. And so the point of it is we're not talking about the natural vision. We're talking about something far, far more spiritual than that. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith in verse 24. It says, by faith Moses, when he was coming years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that was stupid. I mean, I mean, in a worldly sense, that was sort of dumb. Because, I mean, he was going to be uh, given a high position. He was going to be uh, in the lap of luxury and wealth the rest of his life. But he had a different pathway to follow. And the rest of the verse I like, it says this. It says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When I surrendered my life, I was saved in Denver, called in Denver, and I'll never forget the first thing one of my aunts said to me. She said, you're going to do what? She said, you mean to tell me you're going to go to a Bible college? And I mean, that's about the way she said it. And I thought to myself at that time, you know, the world outside has no idea of the glories that await people who surrender their lives and serve the Lord Jesus Christ and have a vision to move forward and not just stand still. And so I think that it epitomizes what Moses did. We may not always have all the facts to formulate our vision, but when Moses in his life first began to to feel that urge and that, and that compulsion to follow the Lord, I don't think he had a clue of where he'd go. I don't think he had a clue that he would lead millions of people into a promised land. I don't think he had a clue as to what God had. But when he saw that burning bush, he saw not only the past but also the future, and he began to yield to that, and he was not hampered by public opinion. I like what Paul said. I did not confer with flesh when I did what I did. I like what Nehemiah said. I didn't go and confer. I went with God alone and we prayed. And then he began to organize his program to build the walls in 52 days. And so we're not, we're not governed by public opinion. We're not governed by what is politically correct. 
We're governed by the Holy Spirit of God that enables us to do things we never thought possible. Do not limit God when he's got his hand on you. When there's an opportunity for you to serve, let me tell you something. We're not controlled by human logic. We're controlled by the Spirit of God and the vision that he sets before us. So many times that in formulating that vision, it takes some time. Vision is more than looking on the bright side of life. I hear people say, well, I just have a vision of this and a vision of that. I said, where did that vision come from? Well, I just saw someone wearing this apparel, or I saw somebody driving this car. No, no, no. We're not talking about a material vision. We're talking about something that only God puts in your heart, and it's like an ever-burning fire. We look on God's side. In other words, sometimes a vision can be given to you that's not given maybe to another person. In our text in, in Numbers chapter 14, here is a tremendous report. Joshua and Caleb come back. They say, man, we've seen it. It's fantastic. Let's take the next step and claim that promise of God. Let's, let's go in and, and take possession of the land. But somehow or another, there was a warning there in verse 9. Let me repeat that warning. It says, but only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us, fear them not. What a fantastic report that is. I mean, they were ready to go. But did you notice in verse 10 what the reaction was? The people were ready to stone them. We've had so many people that tell us, working in Southeast Asia and working among, among nationals, it's just not going to fly. It's not going to work. I want to show you a picture of a gentleman. Let's put it up on the screen right quick. The fellow on the left, I don't know who he is, but the guy on the right used to be a Hindu priest. Hindus believe in probably 30 million gods. And they believe in 220 parts of a cow as being deity. They believe in ancestral worship. The list goes on and on and on. When this man heard that there was one God and that that God in heaven loved him, and that God in heaven went to the cross for him, accepted Christ. He entered our seminary, Pastor. He graduated, and he said, I'm going to start a church in Kathmandu. And I know that God's going to... Now, wait a minute. Stop a minute. There's 50% unemployment in Nepal. The average salary of a Nepalan person is, uh, what, $500 a year? He's going to build a church? Where are the funds going to come from? How is it going to happen? He had a vision of what God would do. And listen to me. The more the government and the more the Hindu priests threatened his life, he said, you know what that did? That just stirred me up even more. He said, it just stirred me up. And the more I read God's word, he said, the more I was convinced that God was going to do it. Here's a man with a vision. He said, I'm not listening to public opinion. It doesn't matter how long I have been in service. It doesn't matter how long I've been in school. In other words, people, you know, when you pastor a church, and your pastor will tell you this, people really aren't interested in what you have done. They're more interested in what you're doing right now. This guy said, it doesn't matter what has happened to me. I have forsaken the Hinduism. I have chosen Christ. But that doesn't matter. What matters is, what am I doing right now? And he said, right now, God has laid on me a vision. So vision gang is an awareness but secondly it's something else a vision is the faith to believe and that has to do with your attitude 
Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 37 said this, Nay, in all these things, what things? He's talking about persecutions. He's talking about suffering. He said we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. He had a victorious attitude. I want to walk around with a victorious attitude in my life. I am 70 years old. I know, I know I don't look it. But tell me anyway. Reg Cook looks older than I do. But anyway, I, uh, I came across a story. Do you like birds? I like bird stories. Let me tell you a bird story I, I ran across. Uh, it's, uh, let me just read this. It says, both the hummingbird and a vulture fly over the nation's desert lands. Isn't this exciting, boys and girls? All vultures see is rotting meat because that's what they look for. They thrive on that kind of diet. Hummingbirds, on the other hand, ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. They look for the colorful blossoms of the desert plants. The vulture lives on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But the hummingbird, ah, he lives on what is. He seeks new life. He fills themselves with freshness and life. What is the moral to the story, boys and girls? Each bird finds what they're looking for. Did you get it? Each bird finds what he's looking for. What are you looking for? When you came to Pompano Baptist Church, what are you here for? Are you here to serve or are you here to sit? Are you here to get involved in missions Are you here to say, listen, Pastor, I don't mind uh, hearing, and and I'll be be coming, but but that's about it for me. Is, Is that where you are? Are you just enjoying what's past? Are you challenged by the future? Are you challenged by the opportunity to give to faith promise, to give to missions? Are you challenged by the opportunity to pray? Are you challenged by the opportunity to give and find that that giving goes to prosper the Lord's work? Are you you seizing the opportunity to serve? uh, Carpe diem. Seize the opportunity you have. Don't live in the past. I find a lot of elderly people, as I go through, I talk about China, and we have a summer camp program. And I take 100 Americans to China every every year. and, And they love pastors like People like in Pompano. But anyway, uh, but I take these people to China, and I use the pastors to teach in the seminary, and I take the folks to the camp. We have 500 Chinese that come, and we teach conversational English. Listen, I got people that go with me that are in their 80s, in their 70s, and they say, we want to be a part of something that's going to go on for all eternity. And they stay in front of those boys and girls, and they will teach conversationally. Basically, what we do is help them with their vocabulary and their pronunciation. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to go. And we've been doing this for like 20 years. And let me tell you something. Whether you're young or old or middle-aged or whatever you are in your stage of life, what opportunity are you seizing? Are you still seizing as the vulture the things of the past and staying there? Or are you moving on and smelling the blossoms 
of serving God with freshness and joy. Which is it? So first, there's an awareness. Secondly, there's faith to believe. And then the third thing I want to talk about. No, I don't want to talk about that. i got more to say. I think the greatest thing, let me just say this, for time permits. I think the greatest thing that Satan uses against all of us is our attitude. Attitude. Any of you pilots? Anybody a pilot in here? Yeah. What, what do you call the, the, the direction of the nose of an aircraft as it flies? The attitude. All right? If you have a nose-up attitude, sir, you need to take lessons. Uh, <coughs> yeah, jet pilot instructor, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. But I was always taught, sir, that the, the nose determined the attitude of the aircraft. Am I wrong? Thank you so much. God bless us. Anyway, but listen to me. If you have a nose-up attitude, You're going to fly to greater heights of new things that God has for you. If you have a nose-down attitude, chances are you're going to crash. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying to you, seize the opportunity that God gives you. Have an awareness. Having the faith to move forward. And then there's a third thing. And that is the vision of the courage to just get out and do it. You know, Paul uses a term. He says, I exhort you. What does that term exhort mean? It's very simple. Take action when no other action is taken. Say that with me. Take action when no other action is taken. And so have the courage to do it. Don't just sit there and dream about it. You know, when I pastor Faith Baptist Church, every ministry, I'm going to come down here and talk to you. Every ministry we had began mostly with the people in the congregation. You understand what I'm saying? We led a guy to the Lord. Brother Rogers and I went out to a house one time and led this guy to the Lord. He'd been Roman Catholic all of his life, but it was just a practice. He went, but he really didn't know the Lord. And so we led that guy to Christ that night. Man, we were rejoicing all the way home, you know. And so we thought, well, he was such a sober guy. I mean, he didn't show any emotion at all. You know, I mean, he didn't cry or run around circles or anything. You know, we always expect an emotion from people. Let me tell you something. Salvation is in the heart, my friend. It's not how we act. It's what we do. And so anyway, several months went by, and Tom Buckley was his name. And old Tom came to the office one day. I never will forget it. He said, Pastor, I have such a burden on my heart. And we said, well, Tom, what's wrong? We thought maybe he had a problem with his job or something like that. Oh, he said, it's a terrible thing. I said, well, what's so terrible? I just can't get it off my mind and off my heart. And I said, well, well, Tom, spit it out. What is it? He said, I got a vision. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what did you eat the night before? And he said, Pastor, I have a vision of going out and seeing handicapped people, people in wheelchairs, people with crutches, people who can't just move about except with help. I have a vision of going out and reaching the handicap of our city. And I thought, is this Tom Buckley talking? And I said, is he, I mean, are you all right, Tom? Have you you got enough rest lately? He said, Pastor, God's laid this on my heart. And I can see it. I can see what God can do if we'll just, if we'll just mobilize. 
and gather the troops together. Well, I thought, oh, my goodness, we're talking about a special equipped van. We're talking about a special uh, equipped classrooms. Uh, we may have to change the restrooms. Uh, da, 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 da. That's going to be a lot of money. Now, let me tell you, I want to zip fast forward. Let me tell you what happened. Tom Buckley started that ministry. It went for 20 years. And God supplied the vans. God supplied the construction work. The, the whole ticket was paid for by God's people. You know why? Because they caught the vision that Tom had. You see what I'm saying? God may have not give, given you the vision, but he may give someone else that vision, and we need to, to catch the vision in order to move forward. Now I want to close with this illustration. I, I go to Vietnam a lot. And uh, I fought, uh, I was in the Vietnam War, proud to serve my country. And I remember this story because I started ministering in Vietnam. And I met, I met a lady one day, the quilt lady. And she made quilts. And I thought, wow, boy, that's an interesting thing. Tell me your story. She said, my husband was a lieutenant colonel in the South Vietnamese Army. We fought with the Americans during the Vietnam War. And said, I, I will never forget when Ho Chi Minh came down the trail and, and we were evacuating. And all of you remember those pictures, don't you? Of the helicopters leaving and people hanging on, some dropping to their death. And, uh, and, and they were evacuating very, very quickly. Well, she said, my husband, being a high-ranking officer, he got first uh, opportunity to leave. And so we were evacuated. We went to safety. And we went to live in the United States and we stayed there for a number of years and my husband died. And now I was all alone. And she said, God, listen, God let, gave me a vision. And that vision was to go back as a single woman in a communist country to Vietnam and be a missionary. And what were her chances of this happening? Practically nil. But somehow or another, she got permission and sponsorship and she came back to Vietnam. And the first thing she did was, Lord, what kind of ministry do you want me to have? Maybe it's with ladies. Maybe I can get in one of, the, one of the underground churches and work. But everywhere she went, it was a dead end. So finally, she started ministering to the street kids. Kids that ate in the dumpsters. Kids that lived on the streets. And she began to make these quilts. And it served multiple purposes. First of all, it would keep the children warm at night. Secondly, they could learn to use it and it would be a source of income for them. And then finally, it would be an opportunity for her to share Christ. And so 20 years ago, she started making quilts and inviting the street kids to come around. And as they learned how to quilt, she witnessed to them, shared the Bible. Pretty soon they were memorizing scripture. And those kids came to be Christians. They began to learn and they began to sell the quilts. They started providing their own food, providing their own uh, uh, comforts. All of that happened. And listen to me. Today in Ho Chi Minh City, which is formerly Saigon, there are Bible study, underground Bible studies all over Saigon because of one little quilt lady who said, I'm going to believe God. God's given me a vision. And I'm going to follow that vision. I'm going to do what I can for the glory of God. 
And today she's responsible for thousands of people coming to Christ. And it all started where? It started with a vision. It all started with an awareness that God can use me regardless of my age. It all started because somebody was willing to step out in faith. It all started because somebody said, I'm going to have the courage to make a difference. And the Bible says, without a vision, people perish. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to make a difference. We have an opportunity, Lord, to just be an open book to you, to just speak to our hearts about what we can do. Maybe it's a neighborhood Bible study. Maybe it's helping in one of the elementary departments. Maybe it's singing in the, in the praise band, whatever it might be. Lord, help us not to look back at 50 years and say, oh, man, that is special. Lord, help us to realize the next 50 years is going to be the most important years of this church's legacy and history. And I pray today that God's people will respond, that we'll come and pray, that we'll say, Lord, you speak to my heart, and I'll obey your calling. I pray for those today who may not know the Lord. They may have a religion, they may have a brand, but they've never come to Christ. And I pray today they would come and speak to the pastor or one of the good men and say, I need to be saved. I need to know the Lord personally and intimately. And Lord, may you be honored and you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name.